Well, good morning. Welcome back to the Broadcast Retirement Network. I'm Jeff Snyder. This is BRN AM for Friday, August 12th, 2022. And our top story today, college tuition fees and rents are increasing. Well, joining me now to discuss this and a lot more, John Marcus is the editor of the Heckinger Report. John, so great to see you. Thanks so much for joining us on the program this morning. Thank you for having me. Let's, before we get into college tuition, college rent, and costs associated with that. Tell us a little bit about the Heckinger Report. I know it's a not-for-profit organization focused on news, but what do you all do every day? Uh, we cover uh, all of education, K-12 and higher ed. I focus on higher education. Uh, we're a nonprofit, but we partner with major national media outlets such as um, the Washington Post, the New York Times, NPR, and uh, cover higher education and, and K-12 education, which is increasingly important, I think, to readers, but which, because of the sort of decline in support for media, uh, those partners, well, not those partners necessarily, they do a lot of very robust coverage, but generally um, journalism is sort of shifted to other kind of topic areas and education needs to be covered and often is it. Yeah. yeah, well, we're happy to have you on. And I think we read a piece that you had written for the USA Today, which I believe is one of your partners. So let's let's just get everyone up to date before we get into the cost of housing, which is going through the roof like it has been. And we'll talk about that. What's the current state of higher education now post-COVID or in this endemic phase of COVID? Yeah, um, it's a mess. I mean, you've, you've seen um, a huge decline in enrollment. There are a million and a half fewer students enrolled in colleges than there were at the beginning of the pandemic. But that obscures the fact that this decline in enrollment has been going on for a decade. There are 4 million fewer college students now than there were 10 years ago. That's a 20% decline. The reason that we haven't seen more colleges close is because they um, were fortunate to enjoy a lot of um, uh, federal financial support uh, with pandemic um, sort of uh, pandemic financial support uh, from Congress. Um, but, uh, you know, there's a this enrollment decline shows no signs of going away. It will, in fact, get worse in 2026. That's because that's 18 years from the last recession in 2008 when people had fewer kids. So there'll be fewer 18 year olds to go to college in 2026. You've got another cliff. On top of that, fewer high school graduates are going to college. So, so we, we hit a peak about five years ago of 70% of high school graduates going immediately to college. That's now fallen seven percentage points to 63%. In states, some states, including Tennessee and Indiana, uh, the decline is 12 percentage points in just four or five years. So um, there's a lot of public skepticism about higher education. It's, it's kind of in, in big trouble and that, that creates a problem for all the rest of us People who don't have kids in college or who aren't in college themselves might think this doesn't have anything to do with them. In fact, what it means is less economic competitiveness. Uh, our economic rivals have increased their college going while ours has declined. Since 2000, we've gone from second in the world in the proportion of our population with degrees to 16th in the world. And our economic rivals that are ahead of us have increased their college going by 177% at a time when ours has been declining. 
Is there a reason for the the lack of luster? Um, is it job opportunities? Is it maybe just people recognizing that maybe a two-year school is the right approach? Is it vocational schools? You know, I mean, that's a great job to have too, being like an iron worker or a carpenter uh, as part of a, a, a union. So is there a rationale as to why that luster has kind of worn off? There are a lot of reasons. And if you look at focus group and survey data, uh, the the idea of going directly into a trade, for example, uh, many states were very good at promoting that to the extent that so many people took that route that far fewer of them went to college. And we still do need college educated uh, workers. The Even before the pandemic, there was an estimate that we'll be short 9 million college educated workers by 2030. Um, so again, it affects it affects all of us. Other reasons are that people are, are questioning the value of the degree, if it's worth the money. Um, the universities have, have shot themselves in the foot by promoting a or by advertising a price that almost no one pays. If you look at the price on the website for a university, nobody pays that after discounts and financial aid. On average, people pay 50 percent of that. Uh, but most people, especially people whose parents didn't go to college, which represents an increasing proportion of potential college goers these days, they don't know that, so they never even bother to apply. Um, you also have this, uh, this is very interesting. Uh, this came out of a focus group and survey that they did in the state of Indiana, where they're very concerned about the decline in college going. People don't wanna be told what's good for them. People don't wanna be told by elites and intellectuals that you have to go to college and it'll make your life better. Because by implication, what you're telling them is your life isn't very good right now and we can make it better for you. Nobody wants to hear that. There are also sort of partisan divides about the value of higher education and concerns about things like um, uh, partisanship among faculty, um, you know, whether that's true or not, people tend to believe it. Some people tend to believe it more than others. And so they're less enthusiastic about sending their kids to college. The, the, the short answer, forgive me, is that there are a million reasons that this is going on and they're very hard to solve. Yeah. Well, as my mother will tell you, I'm one person who doesn't like anyone to tell them what to do. Um, and maybe that's, some will argue that's probably where I am, why, why, where I am today. Last question before we go to the, uh, uh, the end of the segment, we go to a commercial break. $1.6 trillion, that's the amount last that I read on student loan debt. How much uh, is, are, are Americans maybe more aware of how important debt is? And again, this may not be a, an education question, but it's part of it. When you go to school, you got to figure out how to pay for it. There's no free lunch, as Milton Friedman said. So, um, you know, is, is that a big part of the equation? Yeah, that's such a good question. So we have for months now been having these daily headlines about whether the Biden administration will forgive student loan debt. And the, the unintended consequence of that is that every day we're reminded about student loan debt. <laughs> and so that also has discouraged students and their parents from, from, um, from college going. But here's something that I learned in a story that we just have out today. Uh, about this giant decline in enrollment. These kids graduating high school, their parents are still paying off their college loans. So they don't wanna put their kids through that. They are, in, they are cynical, you would be too, if you'd spent 30 years paying off your loans, skeptical about, about having their, their kids assume that level of debt. And so that's also feeding this decline. Yeah, really important. And, and on top of that, John, I'm gonna go to commercial break in a minute, but I just wanna make the point. It's not just college debt, it's credit card debt. People of my generation, I'm a Gen Xer, I'm 50. 
my friends paying off college debt and credit card debt. You don't want that because you lose your financial independence or it takes longer to get it. John, as I said, I need to take a very quick break. When we come back, we'll talk more about the cost of higher education, including housing expenses, which, by the way, are going up. You're going to want to stay tuned right here on BRN AM. Imagine a new television network that will make you richer, healthier, and in control of your financial future. This network is for the policewoman in Nashville, Tennessee, the baker in Dubuque, Iowa, the teacher in Lexington, Kentucky. We want to make the idea of savings and retirement culturally relevant. But what do you see as a defining issue of the midterms? Especially for the smaller businesses. I mean, they are the lifeblood of the American economy. Featuring exclusive interviews, current affairs, and docu-series. 33 yeah. years old, you retired early. The philosophy is money only matters if it helps you live a life that you love. But you gotta start thinking about retirement as soon as you get in. The Broadcast Retirement Network will drive very high engagement with premium partnerships. So this isn't retirement and savings for your parents or grandparents. This is for all Americans. And we're gonna change the way you think about money. Welcome to the next frontier of retirement and savings. This is BRN, the Broadcast Retirement Network. Are you over 50? Would you like to get up to 33% more income in retirement? Then call now for this free book, Annuity Do's and Don'ts for Baby Boomers. This free book reveals little-known secrets about annuity strategies that will help you make the right choices before buying an annuity. Call right now for your free book. And as a bonus, we'll also throw in a free annuity rate report, both absolutely free, for calling Annuity General today. Call 800-504-8194. Welcome back. We're talking this morning to John Marcus of The Heckinger Report. John, thanks so much for sticking with us this morning. Of course. Uh, just want to pick up on something that we were talking about off camera uh, in the quote-unquote quasi-green room, uh, which doesn't really exist, but it's a virtual green room. John, um, because people are dedicating so much of their income once they get out of school to paying off student loan debt, credit card debt, this actually has an impact on the economy. How does it have an impact on the economy? Higher education is sucking so much money out of the economy, especially for this demographic of people 18 to 20, about 18 to 24, that, th that research shows that those students, even if they graduate, and we haven't even talked about the fact that a third of them never graduate at all. They assume this debt and never get a degree. But even after they graduate, they, they, they defer um, buying a car, buying a house, getting married, and doing all of those other things that in a consumer-based economy are important to the broader economy. Also important is this huge decline in the number of people going to college and enrolling in college. That has broader economic consequences too, because they will over the course of their lifetimes make 67% less money. That means they pay less taxes, but they need more social services. 
So Medicare, Medicaid, um, food stamps, um, they are in, in other ways, real, it's really interesting to look at the difference between college educated and non-college educated. Non-college educated people are, are more obese and more likely to smoke, meaning that they put a higher burden on the healthcare system. Um, they give less money to charity. They're less likely to volunteer. So in all of those ways, they create a drag on, on the economy. I'm not disparaging people that don't go to college. Um, you know, many people don't go to college for other reasons and there are other jobs for them. Um, but overall, if you look at this empirically, it, um, it's, it isn't helping. Yeah, it, it, it's not. And, and uh, let me ask you, I was going to ask you about, I want to get the housing costs in a minute, but just to follow up on that, let's talk about reform um, because I think you make a really good case and, and there are lots of positions and sides and on this, but how do we make things better? So one, more people will be incentivized to go to college. Maybe they're not going to business school. Maybe not, they're not, maybe they're going to pursue a degree in fine arts. I don't know, but they're going to school. Um, but how do we incentivize that so that they're not walking out with uh, loads and loads of student debt that they want to participate, that they want to do something that they're passionate about? Yeah, so we, we do that by putting the students first, by making this significantly less complicated. The focus groups and surveys that I mentioned um, uh, have suggested that it's so complex to navigate. If you've ever been through this with a with a kid or, or yourself, to navigate the process of applying to and getting financial aid for college, it, it, you need a master's degree to do that. Um, and, and in some cases, that's intentional. So colleges send out a, what's called a financial aid offer after you've um, uh, you know been accepted. Um, and it's impossible to compare them, and they do that on purpose. Um, it's impossible to compare financial aid, and they're written in such a way that is intentionally obscure. So they'll say that your, um, your expected family contribution, which is a federal term, is zero, when in fact, if you read the fine print, you have to borrow $20,000, which in my mind is an expected family contribution. So um, it's overly complex. It's created for the, the convenience of the faculty and administration, not for students. I mentioned er earlier that students don't understand that they're not going to pay the, the sticker price. Um, make that clearer to people. Uh, and, um, uh, you know, again, just, just help them understand these realities. So in Tennessee and Indiana, where the proportion of high school graduates has declined by significant amounts, which is very alarming. In fact, that's the term that the commissioner in Indiana used, that it was an alarming decline. Indiana is the most generous state in the Midwest with financial aid for college, state-based financial aid. Tennessee has made community college free, and yet students still aren't going. So the, it's, I think, largely the complexity of higher education that, that's a turnoff um, for, uh, for a lot of students. Well, you certainly should be able to compare the costs side by side like you do when you buy a car. I mean, I don't know anybody who goes to the dealer and just accepts the, the dealer's word. They negotiate. They look at the sides, things side by side and they say, I want to buy this brand or this brand and this car and that car. So maybe something similar can be applied to higher ed. Before I let you go, I want to talk not only about tuition fees. Let's talk about the cost of housing. And I want to dovetail this into... The, uh, the housing market, um, that has had the broader national housing market, um, even though we've seen a little bit of cooling, that's had an impact on housing for college students. 
Yeah, if you thought things were bad before. Um, so almost no colleges provide housing for all four years. Some small liberal arts colleges do, but most universities don't have enough housing to accommodate all of their students. So many of them live off campus for at least a part of the year. Many institutions require upperclassmen to live off campus. Nationwide rents have risen 14% since last year. As you point out, that that's moderated a little bit now. But if you think about it, students that are entering college in the fall already signed a lease back when the market was ridiculously hot. Um, so although the national average is 14%, in cities with large concentrations of college students, uh, Boston, where I live, rents are up 24%, New York, 21%, Austin, Texas, 29%. Even in small communities that are college towns, Ann Arbor, it's up 19%, Ithaca, New York, 29%, State College, Pennsylvania, it, the rents in State College, Pennsylvania are up 32% since last year. So this is having an enormous impact on students. The price of off-campus student housing nationwide is up 6%, which doesn't sound so bad. No. But again, in those particular cities and towns, the numbers are much, much, much higher. Um, so the overall is 6%. Even that is three times the previous biggest increase from one year to the next in student housing. Yeah. So, the, the, the impact of that is now spilling over into on-campus housing because off-campus housing is so expensive that more students are applying for on-campus housing, making, even, making that even more competitive and requiring colleges and universities to do things like convert a double into a triple. Uh, and if you think you're going to get a break on the price of that, forget about it. So people are paying more, getting less, struggling to pay off-campus rents. Students increasingly in California, for example, 5% of the University of California students, 10% of California State, homeless while in college. I mean, that's how close to the edge many of these students are. Yeah, it's, uh, uh, you know, and then you factor into that gasoline prices, food prices. I mean, it just, it just is piling on people in a lot of ways. And we didn't even get to, John, the cost of books, which I want to tackle next time you're on the program, because I think... I always paid a lot for books, and, and that was like almost 30 years ago. John Mark, it's great to see you. Thanks so much for joining us, and we look forward to having you back on the program again very soon, my friend. Thank you very much. That wraps up this episode of BRNAM. Have a topic of interest, someone you think we should talk to, drop us a line. And don't forget, for all the latest curated news and lifestyle, wellness, finance, tech, so much more all in one place, check out today's edition of our daily newsletter, The Morning Pulse. Want to search our archives, check out our latest content, or visit our website, and of course, our streaming partners. We're back again tomorrow for BRN Weekly. We'll be taking a look back at some of our best segments for the week. You're not going to want to miss it. Until then, I'm Joe Snyder. Stay safe, keep on saving, and don't forget, roll with the changes. Now is your opportunity to co-create content around any topic on the first lifestyle and wellness network. Reach a global audience through our platform and co-own exclusive branded content. All of our programs are available on demand and also as audio-only podcasts so you can take us on the go. Broadcast Retirement Network, available anytime, anywhere, and on any device.